Life Christian Centre is a church located in the city of Adelaide. It is made up of people from different backgrounds and walks of life who have been transformed through a relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us online at www.life-church.com.au Uh, it's a real um, privilege to have Pastor Danny Guimucci with us uh, this morning. For those that may not know him, um, he was the founding pastor of Edge Church International, Multi City, Multi Site Church, and he now oversees a ministry called Pattern Builders. He connects with different churches as a uh, consultant, working with different churches in our city and also the nation and nations of the world. He's a great man of God. Danny and I have been spending some time together uh, in recent months, checking out the latest restaurants where Danny seems to know all the latest restaurants. And so we've been checking them out and having a good time. But uh, I've always enjoyed my time together with Danny. Always learned something. He's a man of prayer. He's a man of the Word. He's incredibly sharp and has incredible insight into the Word of God. And so always feel encouraged after a time spent with him. And I know you're going to be encouraged today. So would you put a great big welcome, life welcome, uh, put your hands together as he comes to minister the Word this morning. Amen. Thank you, Joe. Bless you. Well, good morning, everybody. How are you? Well, good on you. We want your passion, brother. It's so good to be with you, and uh, I do count it a real privilege. It feels like family to me. It is family. And God is a great God uh, to bring us to places where we're united in faith and relationship. It's such a beautiful thing. People are relationally depleted today, and it's great to be part of God's amazing family. You know, people bash the church today, but I'll tell you, it's the hope of the world when we, we do it right. You know, just a little different from the last service, I just during the worship felt something come to me. I was at Burnside Village yesterday and just waiting for a shop to open and I'm just sitting there thinking about the many Christians that are all twisted about what's happening with COVID and what's happening with this whole world. And, and I'm thinking it's so sad because sometimes we use our Bibles as our devotional, but we don't use it as our directional where it directs us in times like this. And I was just sitting there thinking about prisons. I thought, you know, people feel like they're caged in right now. They feel like they're in a prison. And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, when Peter was in a prison, he slept. When Paul was in a prison, he sang. And when Joseph was in a prison, he spoke prophetically. And we may be in a prison right now that we think is being created by all kinds of things. and Some people think this is the beginning of the mark of the beast. It was 1972 when I was in crowded meetings in church where a speaker got up and he pulled out a bank card and there were six, six, six figures there on the bank card and told everybody that if we got a bank card, we would be taking the mark of the beast. 40 years later, I've still got my bank card. And I show you have, and so there's all these conspiracies and things, and whether true or not, who cares? We have a God that helps us sleep in our prison, which means trust. We have a God that helps us in a world of confusion to speak prophetically. Here's Joseph in a prison, had been receiving dreams from God or received a dream from God, and he hasn't got a clue what's going on in his life. And while he cannot work out what's happening with him, he's interpreting somebody else's dream. I remember one day God challenged me as a leader. He said, what makes you a leader is when you can interpret other people's dreams when you don't know what's going on in your own life. 
Because we don't trust in my ability. We trust in His revelation from the Word that can come even when we're in a mess. I remember being in hospital when I went through my cancer journey, not trying to, trying to work out what was going on and then people would come in. Nurses would come in and I would get to share with them the good news of Jesus. And it didn't make sense while you're interpreting prophetically somebody else's dream while you can't interpret your own. That's the difference between Christianity and churchianity. There's a big difference between being a churchgoer, which is great, and I love the fact that I was raised in the church. I went to church nine months before I was born, so, you know, always in the church. I remember my granddad's testimonies, and boy, I could finish them off because I knew what would happen on a Wednesday night testimony time. But I'm glad that those things were all part of my formation as a person who got to trust God, but it wasn't just the attending that made that happen. It was the getting to know God for myself. As a young man at the age of 11 for the first time, 14 and then 18 and at youth camps, where somehow a personal connection with God took place that's carried me through every storm. And like Paul and Silas in that prison, we can praise in the midst of the, storm, in the, midst of the, the, the restriction. You notice they never blamed anybody. Paul and Silas in a prison never ever said, why did this happen? This shouldn't have happened. Because we think as Christians that things shouldn't happen to us because we're doing the right thing. But as I look at my Bible, some pretty crazy stuff happened to people that were doing the right thing. Because our faith is not based on circumstances. It's based on who he is. And we can praise in our prison. We can prophesy in our prison. And we can have peace in our prison. And for me, that's what I really am worried about at the moment, about people in churches. Their church is splitting right now over COVID. And what pastors should be saying from the platform. But my prayer today is that we go back to the code of conduct, the word of God, and realise no matter what, try telling the Christians in China right now, in the underground church, Right now, the Chinese government will give $20,000 to everybody that can dob a Christian in. And those Christians are growing in places of persecution. Now, I'm not trying to be negative or pessimistic because I don't like pain. I don't like pain and I want an easy life. But sometimes we're praying for God to send revival. And I want to tell you, if it comes the way the Bible shows it, it will be a very different world than the one we have now. And it won't be just because we are church attenders, but it's because we are Christ resemblers and we represent who he is. And so this morning, the power of the church, I think our best days are ahead of us. I think the church is going to see a new harvest. Last time I preached here, I talked about how I felt God showed me that through COVID, there'd be church leavers, there'd be church cleavers. Some people that will leave the church and go, I don't need the church, I just go online. There are seven false teachers in the New Testament that are going to be let loose in the last days. And if we're not under proper Bible teaching from people who love us and will give an account for our soul, we could be led up any kind of garden path. But you know what? God right now 
is bringing his pattern back to the church, not to hurt the church, but to heal the church, uh, not to bash the church, but to build the church, because we should be enjoying the freedom of our faith, no matter what the circumstances. In the loss of a son, in the loss of a broken son, on a cancer journey, I was told last week by some doctors that I may have immune immunotherapy for the rest of my life. And I walked out, I was a bit sad, of course, we're human, but I walked out and I go, my, my days are numbered. God knows my days. I'm going to live every day as if I'm here forever and I'm ready to go tonight. And I want to tell you, as Christians, if we get hold of that kind of posture, nothing can happen to us that can discourage our faith. But what God is trying to do right now is some people are leaving the church. Some people are cleaving. They want the programs of old. They want everything that we, we used to have before COVID. Some things God doesn't want us to have anymore because he's trying to get a church that knows how to gather and knows how to scatter. And so in the early church, in the book of Acts, they gathered daily. I was saying to someone the other day, I said, the early church did life together and a church was birthed. Today around the world, people are driven to build churches and no time to do life together. And I believe God's turning that around so it's not either or, but it's and. The power of and, the organic church, where we don't just be the church on Sunday, but we're the church on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday as well. Because wherever we go, we're the church. We gather to be built up on a Sunday. We come on a Sunday to give God our corporate worship. There's nothing that can beat what can happen in corporate worship. We are called to worship together. The Bible tells us we need to worship together. So we come to give corporate worship. We come to get correct teaching and we come to do community together at a generic level. But then when we walk out of here, we are the church. We don't just go to church and we're the organic church wherever we go, being the light in the darkness, not being a voice of darkness next to the darkness. So many Christians getting, or churchians, getting twisted over COVID, getting twisted over this, when the world is waiting for someone to give them good news. And we're the ones that are called by God to gather and scatter with good news. In Hebrews 10.25, and let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. The early church gathered regularly but it also scattered. In Acts 8, chapter 4, it says everywhere they went after the persecution. What we do is we get into the conspiracy theories, but what the early church did was persecute us, we'll keep preaching the gospel. Persecute us, and everywhere we go, we'll bring the good news. I meet with six business guys every Friday who don't go to church. And we meet together, and they start throwing questions at me. I've started opening the scriptures and say, you read it, and tell me what you think. The other day, I said to six of them that were sitting there, I said, let's go to the Ten Commandments and let me read you the last six. Can you imagine if there's no God? There's no God at all. But everybody on the planet lived according to these last six commandments. About not committing murder. Honour your mother and father. Don't take your neighbour's wife or his possessions. And I read them. I said, if everybody in Australia lived by these boundaries, what kind of Australia would we have? And I won't tell you the language they use, but they said, yeah, that's true. Our, our country's messed up. I said, now, can you imagine if we had a God that gives us the first four commandments and empowers us to live that? What kind of a world would I have? They go, oh, this makes sense. 
I took him to Romans chapter 1 and I got some guy to read Romans chapter 1 about people loving nature, hugging trees, hugging whales, hugging snails and, and, and killing the babies before they're born. And I said, now, have a look here. Is this a description of the world we're living in? I took him to Timothy and I said, read this bit about in the last days. So you tell me. I got them telling me what they were getting from the scripture. And in that, they go, well, where's the hope? And I said, we've got to get back to God's pattern. We've got to get back to the God who created us. And it's created such conversation that now every Friday morning, I get a text from one of them and he goes, you're coming today? You're coming today? And you know what? That's church. That's me being the church. It's not the whole fullness of what it is to be church, but that's church in the scatter. Because I do church in the gather. If I didn't do church in the gather properly, I would be all over the shop doing church in the scatter. That's why this deconstruction stuff that's going on about I'm deconstructing my life. Imagine if you pulled every bit of furniture out your house and threw it out, threw all your clothes out, and you're standing naked in your house with no furniture or anything around you and go, I've deconstructed my life. And what are you going to put on? What are you going to construct? Because we're not just called to deconstruct. I'm all for getting rid of stuff that doesn't work. But let me tell you, Jesus said, I'll build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I want to be on board with that building program in Jesus' name. There is no doubt that the Holy Spirit is wanting to bring clarity right now to the church on how to be the church. So we don't just become church goers, which is great. I don't want to come across like I'm anti-church going because we need to be in church. I'm trying to say that all the way along. We've got to be in fellowship. But it's got to be more than that. We've got to be more than just church goers. We've got to be Christ followers. And that's where the power is. Right now, there's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of demonic forces around our planet. Even the elect are being confused. I read an article two days ago, I'm sorry to be so crude, but it's, just, it's in a Christian magazine two days ago where a lady who's an actress in a porn show has started a church with her husband because they're starting a church for sinners by sinners and saying that God accepts us the way we are. This whole thing about grace, that we're saved by grace, I'd love to meet this lady. I mean, she sounds like a very nice lady, Grace. But anyway, you know, we're saved by grace, but we're not saved by grace to have an excuse to do whatever we want. We're saved by grace for good works, not by good works, for good works, because Jesus wants us to be his representatives on the earth. And this is a time to be alert spiritually. And God is bringing, let me prophesy this morning, God is bringing a revival of truth back to the church. We're about to see a revival of truth in 1 Corinthians 2.14. It says, but people who aren't spiritual can't receive these truths from God's spirit. It all sounds foolish to them and they can't understand it for only those who are spiritual can understand what the spirit means. Ephesians 5.14, for the light makes everything visible. This is why it is said, awake, O sleeper, rise up from the dead and Christ will give you light. About four days ago, I wrote a message on why revival's not coming. Now, you've got to hear me out. I mean, it's a play with words. But sometimes we ask God to do what he's told us to do. We're asking God to revive us when we don't position ourselves to be revived. Revival's not for the world. Revival's for the church. And the fruit of revival will benefit the world. And I believe God is calling the church back to divine unity. He's bringing the, the prayer that Jesus prayed before he went to the cross, that we may be one. 
You know, it's interesting that Jesus brings a report to the Father. He says, those whom you've given me, I kept. I gave them your word. And as you sent me, I sent them. But now I pray. Jesus had to pray to the Father. It wasn't a report, it was a request that we would become one. We want the miracles of the New Testament, but we don't want the togetherness of the New Testament. We can't have the power of the New Testament without the purpose and pattern of the New Testament. And so today, just for a few minutes, and I, I pray it will encourage you, is I want to be more than just a churchgoer. I want to be a Christ follower. The name Christian was first mentioned in Acts 11.26. It was at Antioch that the believers were first called Christian. Unbelievers calling the believers Christian. May that day come. May that day come where the unbelievers in our community go, these are true Christians. These are the people that really follow their God. Because all we hear today is, if he's a Christian, why that? If he's a Christian, why that? Now, obviously, it's not Jesus that they're talking about. It's people who are human and make mistakes. But we must take some credit as the church for sometimes being Sunday church and not Monday church in our community. And I believe God is bringing a move about to take us to a place of being true, not just churchgoers, but Christ followers. As just a churchgoer, we can tend to become too inward-looking. The church doesn't do it for me anymore. They used to use me in that department. They don't use me anymore. I used to be able to do that on the stage, but I can't do that anymore. I hear about it every week. I'm dealing with churches every week, and I thought, oh, God, if we could get past this. If only we could get past this. As Christ's followers, we become more outward-looking. The minute you have a revelation of who Jesus is, you want to give yourself away. You want to give yourself to others because you're not just inward looking, you're outward looking. As just a churchgoer, we can look for personal outcomes. But as Christ followers, we look for purpose outcomes. I sat with one of these men on last Friday who is a German man who owns a big engineering company here in Adelaide. And he goes, you know, Danny, possessions don't make me happy. I mean, he's really rich. He's go, things don't make me happy. He goes, I've got to have a purpose. So I took him to Genesis and I showed him when God took Adam and showed him the river Pishon and showed him the river Hevelah and said, that's where the gold is. And that's where all the stones are. He goes, but don't worry about that. That's guaranteed. Let me put you in the garden and give you a purpose. And as you chase your purpose, prosperity is defined by God's guarantee to be with you, but you just do your purpose. The world's lost its purpose in their chasing of prosperity. And in doing that, sometimes even churchianity can go that way, uh, whether we're in the right suburb, we've got the right house, we've got the right... And none of that stuff's wrong on its own, but we need to get to a place where we go, where do I draw? Where do I draw my strength from? Where do I draw my purpose from? And as Christ followers, we have purpose outcomes. As just churchgoers, we can offend it easily. Someone wrote a hymn. Oh, for Jesus, I'm offended. <laughs> Someone said Christians don't tell lies. They just sing them in their song. Oh, someone said that. I didn't say that. But, you know, we get offended easily. But as Christ followers, we should be extended easily. Do you know, every issue that we face in human relationships, everything we go through in life should be an opportunity for us to say, what's the lesson, God, I can learn here? You know, how can I mature through this situation and become more like Jesus? The book of Colossians talks about, I see at least 10 steps to maturity in the first few verses of Colossians that we go from step to step to step. And, you know, the Bible says the steps of the godly. 
Not the leaps, not the jumps, but the steps of the godly. And I believe for some of us that have just resist, lived in a church world, sometimes we've got to go beyond that and go, hey, I want to keep growing. Because if you don't keep growing, you keep groaning. I don't want to keep groaning, I want to keep growing. And so as Christ follow, followers, we can transform internally every time there's a challenge rather than transition externally. When my son Chris passed away, I said to God, I won't waste our pain. I won't lash out with my pain. I will bless with my pain. Yesterday, I had the opportunity to sit with my two grandsons. One's about to turn 20 in December, and Elijah, who's about 15, now nearly 16. I said, how did you handle losing your dad six years ago? We haven't talked a lot about it. Let's talk about it. And my eldest grandson pulled out his phone and started showing me the things that God had showed him through his pain. And I was able to sit there, and I can't help myself. I know it's an Italian thing too and a personality thing, but I just started bawling. These kids could have turned to drugs. They could have walked away from God. Why did God take our father? It's amazing the fear at the beginning I had of where they could end up. And then to sit with these two boys and see that God is part of their narrative, that they haven't turned to all the wrong things, and we're able to talk about destiny that sometimes can even be generational. And he pulled out his journal on his phone and he goes, no, no, I wrote these things down. What do you think? And I pulled out my phone and I said, look at what I wrote the other day. It was exactly the same. And he goes, no, no, that's happened three times now with you and me. I said, well, maybe God's up to something. And my heart was filled with joy that I didn't bash or lash out when my son died and didn't throw the towel in because generations could have been affected by my decision. One one generation allows, the next generation will enjoy. What one generation doesn't repent of, the other will repeat. Far worse. And so I've discovered the sense of excitement in me that there's a maturity coming to the church. There's a new day coming to the church where throw us into prison, do what you like, let it be the mark of the beast, whatever you want it to be. We will do what Jesus equipped us to do. We'll be the light of the world. We'll be the salt of the earth. We won't get into conspiracy theories. We will preach the gospel. We will preach the good news. In Luke chapter 10, when Jesus sent them out two by two, he says, when you go into a place, be a blessing in that place. Then don't move around, build relationship. Not only do that, but bind the wounds of broken people and then share the kingdom and bring the kingdom. I don't want to be a bearer of bad news in a world that's full of bad news from the news reports all the way down. I want to be a blessing. I want to build relationship. I want to bring healing to broken places and I want to bring the kingdom. And if you do those things, the kingdom will be good to preach in Jesus name. But we've got to be transforming Christians, not just transitioning ones. I've put a chart up. I'd like to show you this morning about what I use this in counseling a lot with uh, with non-Christian friends. Many, many, many years ago, one of the world's top psychologists, a lady, a Jewish lady called Shoshana Zuboff. Ever heard of her? And she, um, she put some material together and I read it and then I did my own version of it just to understand it in my own mind. But we all have moments of happiness. Every one of us, you know, you buy a new car, you buy a new house, or if I go to Angelo's place and he gives me fresh sausage, I have great moments of happiness, great moments of happiness. But all jokes aside, 
every one of us goes through trigger points. Sometimes we go through life and there's a trigger point. In a marriage, in a relationship with your kids, at work, whatever. And what happens is if we don't deal with the trigger point properly, we become full of discomfort. We start, that trigger point becomes an issue. And it just sits there and sits there and sits there. What the world does is they then transition and change their external world. A new car, an affair, a new business, a new image change. When you look at all the image problems in our world today and the amount of money spent on facelifts and everything else because people don't have a identity clarity in their life and what we do, we think if we can change our external world, we'll get happy again. And guess what? You do, but only for a short time. And then another trigger point. I have a friend who's a very wealthy man in the city and he has a collection of very exotic cars. He said to me recently, every time I get a new one, the joy is shorter and shorter because I'm just over it now. And it's like the trigger point becomes a point of discomfort. So we go and change something, change our external world and then we get our happiness back. But all we do is we keep transitioning, transitioning and transitioning. And that's why some people go from marriage to marriage to marriage, looking for that moment of happiness that eventually a trigger point will get them in a mess again and go around that journey of transitioning. But the beautiful thing about Christianity is we also have trigger points. We also have moments of discomfort. When God called me into the ministry all those years ago, immediately the call of God came. Sharon and I started fighting. Well, she doesn't fight. I do all the fighting. And I thought, here's the call of God coming on my life and my marriage is being challenged. Why? Because God allows stuff to come to the surface in our trigger point and moment of discomfort. So we change our internal world. A little girl at Sunday school learned, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have internal life. <laughs> the mum tried to change it, but I don't think the little girl was wrong. It's not just external, it's internal. It's eternal, but it's also internal. And so what happens is when we go through as Christians trigger points that turn into discomfort, discomfort, we find out the root issue. See, sometimes as Christians, we retreat. How are you going, brother? I'm okay. Used to sit at the front, now sit somewhere else and come to church, leave early, come late. Are you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. And so we retreat or we react and we lash out at everything or we can respond. And when we respond, we lift the hood on the real issue. And see, I used to have a temper problem when I first got married. And so God was trying to deal with the real issue in my life. So when we started to lift the hood on the real issues, guess what? I got my happiness back until the next trigger point. But each time I went around that cycle, and I haven't always gotten right, I've tried to address what's the real issue so I can grow as a Christian so I don't just transition in life I talk about the divorce rate in the Christian church right now. I know friends of mine that have left churches and all their friends have left too. And what they do is they have divorce parties. They get together and go, did they hurt you? Did they hurt you? And you think when we stand before God on Judgment Day, how are we going to use that excuse? Because we're called to transform, not just transition. And when we transform, you don't have to go around that cycle of external change. You allow God to work with you in your internal change. I'd like to grow. 
I want to be a different Danny next year and the year after. I don't want to be the same person. And people that have judged me, even this morning, someone came up to me out with the first time, you've changed so much. Someone said to me this morning, you're not as full of yourself anymore. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. It's fine. But I thought, you know what? Part of me wanted to say, I'm not full of myself. But maybe I was. Sometimes we're the last to find out. But I'm telling you, I transformed. I have transformed. It, it was someone visiting, not from your church, okay? So get that right this morning. It was just somebody visiting that hadn't seen me for a long time. I'm sure Joseph was full of himself when he got that dream, <laughs> you know? But a few lessons down the track, he was very humble. And so I believe God's called us to not just transition, but to transform. That's going from just being a churchgoer to a Christ follower. As a churchgoer, we can react under pressure, but as Christ followers, we respond under pressure. As just a churchgoer, because we need to be in church, we often detach when disappointment comes. But when Christ is leading us, we turn disappointment into a God appointment. Tried to do that in my life as much as possible. Having been raised in a culture that some of us have all been raised in, having been raised in a family life where we had differences of opinion, even with my own folks, about faith, there were moments that I think I became self-righteous going, God, I'm, I'm not out there doing the wrong thing. God, I haven't done this. I haven't done that. And I'm not loved for what I do for you. And, and, and it was selfish. And I realised that, you know, it was an important thing for me not to live by feelings, but to live by faith. Because a church in lives by feeling, a Christian lives by faith. As just a churchgoer, we can be very religious with our mouth. But as a Christ follower, we are real with our manner. As just a churchgoer, we can speak about our success because it's about self-image. But following Christ is about being conformed to his image. And I, you know, I, my insecurities growing up, I wanted to be known for, 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 appreciated for something. And I remember the day when, as clear as a bell, in my head came to the thought, stop trying to be popular and start to be effective. And I thought, wow, that changed my life. I thought, it's not my job to be popular. It's there for me to be effective. As just a churchgoer, we can seek to have a self-image. But as a Christ follower, we seek to be fruitful and conform to his image. As just a churchgoer, we can see the needs of others as obstacles. But as a Christ follower, we see the needs of others as opportunity. I want to see the needs of others as opportunity. I went to church with a young couple. We were married around the same time. We used to hang out together. And, and one of their kids, unfortunately, uh, got carried away with the drug scene and, and became addicted to ice. And, you know, I knew that couple 35, 40 years ago. And right now that young guy is in his 30s, their son. And I get to mentor him every week because he's come back to Jesus, come off drugs. And every week we sit together and study the scriptures together. And I look at that kid and I think, I'm glad to... And I'm not being self-servant in saying this, but I'm glad I'm not just a churchgoer. I'm glad I'm a Christ follower because I can make a difference everywhere I go. And it's authentic and it's real and it's not religious. It's real. As just a churchgoer, we can be committed to friends at church. Do you know how many people leave a church because their friends have left? I see it all the time. But, you know, as a Christ follower... We don't give blind loyalty, we give biblical loyalty. I said to someone the other day, when you join a church, do you, do you ever ask what does this church teach? What are the doctrines of this church? 
Oh, you know, we went there because they've got a good kids program. Oh, we went there because it's got... And those things are fine. But the day is coming where we've got to build up our most holy faith. And there's false teachers everywhere. And we need to be able to know where the word of God is faithfully preached. And I'm not saying it because Pastor Joe and his family are here. But I thank God that this is a house that teaches the word of God with clarity and values the word. We need that today more than ever. As churchgoers, we can still be shaped by the world. But as Christ followers, we're shaped by the word. You know, some Christians treat the Bible like that end of the Woman's Weekly bit where you read your fortune. You know, you go to the end of Woman's Weekly and go, oh, I'll read my lucky stars. I think I'll just go to the Psalms and get a blessing. Nothing wrong. If that's all you do, that's more than not doing it. But you know what? The Bible's got to become not just a devotional, it's got to be a directional. All the stuff that's happening with this COVID rubbish that's going on around the place right now, all this COVID stuff. I don't hear people say, what does the word say? What does Jesus say? Oh, I listened to a podcast. Oh, that guy said this and that guy said, have you listened to this guy? And people spend more time on YouTube than in the Word of God personally to get the clarity the Holy Spirit wants to give us. Churchianity can be a turnoff, but Christianity is a turn to the reality and truth of Jesus. What do we need to do to be a genuine expression of true Christianity? Two weeks ago, I got a phone call from a friend and he goes, what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus, Danny? And I thought, I can only tell you what I do. I don't have all the answers. I mean, I can give you all the Bible verses on what it means to be a disciple, but here are the things that I think have kept me not just being a churchian, but being a Christ follower, not just a churchgoer. Very quickly, I'll give them to you now before we close. Number one, you have to have a personal revelation of who Jesus is. You cannot serve a church corporately if you don't know Christ personally, effectively. Because people are human and they'll let you down. Try working in the catering department, the children's department. Someday someone's going to hurt you. But you know what? That's life. That's humanity. But I don't serve the church. I serve the Christ of the church through the church. Of course I serve the church but I serve the Christ of the church because he's never going to get it wrong and he's never going to let it stand. You need a personal relationship. I prefer to ask people, are you walking with Jesus, not do you go to church? You can't walk with the church purposely, and I've already said that, if you don't walk with Jesus personally. Number two, respond to Jesus' invitation to follow him. The more I live, the more I don't think I was the one that chose Jesus. I think he chose me. I think the more I live as he comes and knocks on the door of our heart. You notice in Revelation 3.20, he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my knock. No, no. If anyone hears my voice. See, a lot of people are listening to a lot of knocking that's going on around the place. And they don't know who it is that's knocking on the door. But when Jesus knocks on the door of our heart, we need to hear his voice. And when we hear his voice, there's a clarity that comes because we respond to following Jesus' invitation to follow him. Number three, respect God's word as a directional, not a devotional only. In other words, the Bible is the code of conduct. Nobody's saying anymore, what does the Bible say? I say to people, but what, let's go back to the Bible. What does the Bible say? You know Why? There was a survey done two weeks ago in the United States of thousands and thousands of people and only 6% of the people calling themselves Christian said they believed that the Bible was the full word of God. No longer is the Bible amongst churchianity seen as the final say, the code of conduct. So the Centre for Bible Engagement 
A few months ago, did a survey of 40,000 people on Bible reading. Those that read the Bible one time a week didn't change their life at all. Two times a week didn't change their life at all. Three times a week, very little effect. But those that spent up to four times a week studying the Scriptures, something shifted. Loneliness dropped 30%. Anger dropped 32%. Bitterness in relationships dropped 40%. Alcoholism dropped 57%. Feeling spiritually stagnant dropped 60%. Pornography dropped 61%. But sharing one's faith increased 200%. And discipling other people increased 230%. You know, friends... I turned 65 two weeks ago and I've done a lot of reflecting and I am so grateful for the word of God. I've suffered, but people have suffered more than us. We're not the only ones that have suffered. We're not the only ones that have lost children. It's been hard, but God has been faithful for all my life with his word. The word has protected me. It's patterned for me how to live. It's promised me things that have come to pass. Out of Isaiah 58, God gave me 10 promises to build Edge Church. And when I handed the church over, I was able to tick every one of them. But he didn't tell me my son was going to die. He didn't tell me another son was going to break down severely and to walk the streets with shame because of people's comments. like, How can they be Christians? And that happened to them. And had to live with that stuff, but I had to go back to the word where it continued to prophesy to me. It continued to prove itself to me. And you know what? If we follow his word, then the last point is we realise our God shape. You know, God has given us gifts for life, not just for church. We're all put on the planet for a purpose. When you have, number one, a revelation. Number two, you respond to his invitation. Number three, you have respect for the code of conduct, the word of God. You find your God shape. You realise your God shape and wherever you go, Acts chapter 8, wherever they went. I want the musicians to come back, thanks. You see, too many people bash the church rather than partner with Jesus in building the church. Let's rise and build together. It's only when we are the church and not just go to church that we become the salt of the earth and the light of the world. We're not the salt of the church only. We're the salt of the earth. We're not just the light of the world. We're the light of not the light of the church, we're the light of the world. Right now, please hear my heart, I'm closing with this. Adelaide, like every other place, is filled with fear, anxiety, confusion, stress, uncertainty. As Christ followers, we should be the carriers of love, joy and peace. A couple of weeks ago, I found this scripture. I get probably six, seven phone calls a day about COVID. There's guys on YouTube talking about this is the mark of the beast. Man, I remember sitting at Paradise in 1972 thinking, if we don't get married soon, we're going we're gonna to miss out because the rapture's coming because the Antichrist... And there were movies that were made by the American movie scene about a thief in the night. Yeah. We thought, I said to Sharon, we better get married because otherwise it'll never happen because we'll be in heaven soon. We'll, we'll probably be gone by a couple of years. Still here. It's gone fast. But I've heard it all before. The buildings were packed. The number on your head and the number on your... Who cares if we're walking with Jesus and we're not told to preach on things we're not sure of? 
because we're meant to be preachers of truth, not preachers of what might be. We ain't, we're called to preach the good news, the gospel. And so I found the scripture I want to leave you with. Isaiah chapter 8, verse 11 and 12. The Lord has given me a strong warning, not a suggestion, a strong warning not to think like everyone else does. He said, don't call everything a conspiracy like they do. And don't live in dread of what frightens them. Make the Lord of heaven's armies holy in your life. He is the one you should fear. He is the one who should make you tremble. And of course, that fear and tremble is not fear of God and being scared, but it's the respect and honour. Isaiah was confused. The people of Israel were not responding to God. And God says, hey, Isaiah, don't you worry about what happens. I've got you. You've got me. Make me your hope. Don't listen to conspiracies. Let me tell you, what an opportunity to be the light right now. Let's not spend our time trying to work out conspiracies. Let's bring the Son of God into this. Let's turn the light on. Let's share the good news. Let's give people hope and let people feel refreshed. One guy said to me last Friday, I love these meetings on Friday because I feel better when I go home. That's what I want to be. I want to be that light. And you can be that light. And we can all be that light because we go to church, but we are the church. Let's all stand together this morning. And I believe the seed that God wants me to plant today is a seed of new joy, of hope, of resurrection, anointing and power that says, hey, throw us into prison, we'll sleep. We'll rest. We'll trust God. Throw us into prison, we'll praise and have a faith posture. Throw us into prison and we'll prophesy hope and we'll prophesy dreams for people and we will not be this negative, unbiblical pattern of Christianity because it's churchianity. Father, this morning, we thank you so much for the day we're living in. Lord, you caused us to be born at the right time to be alive in this time. And Lord, you chose us to be your mouthpiece in this time. So Father, help us, Lord, not to waste it. But help us, Lord, to be a encouragement, a fresh drink of water, a refreshing river to people. Father, I pray for this wonderful family that even this week when people start talking about this stuff at work or whatever, that you drop a seed of hope in our hearts to bring to people. Father, give us some gifts today that we can give away this week to make other people's lives better and happier and healthier. Lord, today, if there's anyone here that's disconnected from you, I just pray with all my heart that they'll find you, that they'll connect with you, Father, I pray that you'll come and open our eyes to see who you are if we don't know you today. If we've been hurt in church world, I pray that you'll bring healing to people in Jesus' name. While every head's bowed and eye closed, I know I've gone just a little over, I'll be real quick. While every head, and, and I didn't do this in the first service, but I feel strongly that there are some of you here this morning and you feel like you're on that cycle of going from transition to transition and you're not feeling any peace and you feel like you've gone this merry-go-round. And this morning, God wants to encourage you that that can stop and you can start a new journey of transforming, not just transitioning. And while every head's bowed and every eye closed, I'd love to pray for you. I've been on that journey. It's nothing to be embarrassed about. We often go on those journeys. But I'd like to pray with you with every head bowed and every eye closed. And you'd like prayer to get off that merry-go-round. I'd like you to slip up your hand wherever you are. I'll see it. You can put it down again. And I'd love to pray. Just slip it up and then I thank you very much. God bless you so much. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you. God bless you. 
Thank you. God bless you. There's enough hands. You don't need to put them up anymore. I just want to make sure I heard right. But Father, this morning, I just pray for our brothers and sisters that have raised their hand. Father, let something supernatural happen this week where you bring clarity to their hearts and minds to know that they can get off that merry-go-round and a journey of transforming can begin that will bring great joy to their lives. Thank you, Father, today for this opportunity together. And Father, let us really appreciate these days because you are with us, you're in us, and you're going to work through us. Amen and amen. Bless you. Bless you.